So should we do a John Stewart, Stephen Colbert presidential election kind of podcast in the future? No. Okay. I think that takes care of that one. <laughs> That's where we're starting, right? Yep. Feedback so li- from listener Spencer, so long time listen- listener Spencer. Listener Spencer? No. <laughs> the answer is no. The other thing he says is that we should not do opening music. And I agree, and we never will. No. So yes, Spencer. Yes. Have we mentioned, I, uh, I know it was a long time ago, that this, this whole show had a precursor. What are you referring this to? This is not the... Are you talking about episode zero? This is like, you know how Letterman had the morning show? Oh, you mean Letterman? the Modern Legal Theory podcast. Wait, hold on, now you see... Uh, crap, what? <laughs> I, you asked me if I knew, and, I, and the answer is yes, I do know, because I right. was the person who participated I in it. I feel like the Modern American Legal Theory podcast that we had was like, our mor- like Letterman's morning show. Ah. Uh, you know, it's where we work the kinks out. And, yeah. Yeah, we did a special podcast, just you and me, talking about the yeah. readings for this course that I have taught and, and, and continue to teach. Yeah. It was the multi, it was the multi podcast, M-A-L-T, Modern American Legal Theory, Malt. Oh, we could have, whoa, uh, we should have done it publicly and called it Single Malt. <laughs> I think we actually did call that one Cyber Loquia. <laughs> Do you remember from episode zero? Yeah. Episode zero of this show. Yeah. That's when you, you didn't know the name at that point. Do you remember that? Of this? Yeah, you didn't, because you said, what are we going to call this podcast? I think that's how the thing started. Oh, you're right. And I told you, or maybe you did know, and you were just asking so that we would start by saying what the title oh, yeah, of the I show don't remember. was. And I told you it was going to be called the Cyberloquia. Yeah, no way. And, and then I said it's going to be the faculty webinar. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember this? Vaguely. Because uh, these are two words I, well, I hate the word webinar. I just think it's oh, awful. Oh, yeah. That, I, we're in total agreement there. If, if you were, it, listeners, if you find occasion to do something which you were tempted to call a webinar, just take a step back. Yeah. Step away from the keyboard. <laughs> um, listener Mike sent us a note called fan mail, oh, which, was, how, a, which yeah. was effusive in his praise. And, and I, I, I think it's fair to say we're both fans of Mike. Yeah. We he, like Mike's work. He, now, Mike is great. I'll say this, though. Mike promised more feedback. And, and this email, far, right? I mean, you and I both know Mike and very much welcome his his thoughts. Yes. Huge fan. I don't think I've met Mike in person. I'm a huge fan. He's wonderful. He's fantastic. I've um, used writing by Mike in my classes before. He's smart. He's generous. He's yeah. all things wonderful. Terrific. Terrific. So I, I look forward to that actual feedback. Um, but thank you, Mike, the for yeah. the shout out. Uh, that was, it was a real pleasure to get that email. It was. Yeah. Oh, we've got this uh, email from lis- listener Rupesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was uh, listening to Amicus, which is Dolly Lithwick's very right. fine show. Indeed. On Slate. Much, would you say, would you disagree that it, maybe it's much tighter than the show? <laughs> I think it has a totally different approach. A different approach and a different purpose. Yes. And therefore a different format and a different set of production values. And it's just different. Yeah. I think it's very different. Yeah. It does have opening music. It does. And I have to say, I, I think it's actually quite good. Yeah. It's got a little drum thing and it's kind of cool. Yeah, I think it's actually, it's good. Now, we could do that, just to be clear. I mean... But we're not going to. But we could. We could, but we're not going to. I mean, if you saw what the file, you know, what the audio looks like when I'm editing it, it's not very hard to slap a a bit of music over it. So So, what I get, what I'm feeling is that mm -hmm. you're feeling defensive about... You're worried people might believe that you have no skills and that you're no. a cloddish <laughs> moron when it comes to no. mixing and other things. And I just want people, people to know people that you're... People should know that, that I think the assumption that I'm a cloddish moron is usually a safe one. 
No, but I want people to know that you're very, you, first of all, you do an amazing job editing this show and, and you work very hard. Sometimes and I think that's than important. And you could, if we wanted to have a sound effect, there is no one I would trust more to have a great sound effect from than you. Well, this is how we but, started the conversation. Let me just say this. When we did the cyberloquium, which we, <laughs> uh, we did have opening music for that. You remember? We no. would have a little. I, oh, I would, you mean on in the Malt podcast the, for for the legal theory yeah, the class yeah. podcast, right? I would take a little piece of nonsense, I yep. put it in the beginning as yep. kind of the cold open, yep. and then we'd have some music fade in. The problem is copyright. Yeah, but there's there's all kinds of Creative Commons stuff available. I, that I'm you, not going to use a single bit of that. Okay, I would be tempted. I, I I'm we could compose our own thing. This is a bit of a rat hole. Okay, mm. let's get back to Rupesh. Oh boy, so so listener Rupesh says he was listening to Amicus. And and I, I guess it was the show about affirmative action or one of the shows about affirmative action. Well, it was about the up- upcoming Supreme Court term. And I think they were talking about the fact that the Fisher case mm-hmm. is once again back at the Supreme Court, somewhat mysteriously, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe Justice Kennedy will decide this time what he actually thinks and wants to do. I just hope they decide it soon that so that Fisher can finally go to college. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I think the phrase you're looking for is capable of repetition yet evading review. I think there's uh, mm-hmm. it, it isn't mooted by the fact that she went to college. Deep cut. Deep cut there. <laughs> I mean, this is we're not going to explain all of these principles of civil procedure and no, standing law. I mean, anyway, go ahead. Uh, so so, so ahead. listener listener Rupesh says, could, could a school say that showing a preference to students from a lower socioeconomic background instead of a racial one is also a kind of a pro affirmative action stance? What I take from this email is it's kind of, you know, listener Rupesh is thinking about what affirmative action means, like what's objectionable about it. How does a court think about what's ob- objectionable about and, racial preferences and what's and, beneficial about it? Right. And I and and my sense is like uh, the word affirmative action is a positive way of framing racial preferences, which don't represent invidious attempts to uh, keep a group down. Even the word invidious is a negative word, right? So we just apply either positive or negative modifiers to the fact of what's going on, right? And, 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 you know, I'm, I happen to be one who thinks that the 14th amendment has a purpose (laughs) and then that purpose is not offended um, by what people traditionally call affirmative action. And so I'm, well, my sense is you, you, not only that it has a purpose, but that you think something quite particular about that purpose, namely that it is a, a purpose about, um, rooting out one group's effort to subordinate another in a racial caste system. And that's why race conscious actions that are designed not to subordinate in a second class status, but rather to remedy and ameliorate what had been a caste system. Right. Um, Race consciousness doesn't offend your sense of what the 14th amendment is for because it's an anti-subordination provision. Right. If you think it's, a, a formal equality provision, then you might be offended by a race conscious program. Right. I think that is the difference that runs through um, the case law on affirmative action. At this I would point. suggest uh, the show that we did on Plessy against Ferguson. Yes. I think that'd be great. Where we talked about, it's, the it's all catalog. about the purpose of the yep. Equal Protection Clause. And I enjoyed that show. I don't remember, I don't know if it's any good to listen to, Yeah, and I think, but I enjoyed our conversation. You know, another it. thing you could do um, is Oye.org. It's a great website. You can listen oh, to yeah. oral arguments that have been had at the court recently. Oh. And, and so this affirmative action case that's going to be back at the court, it's already been there twice, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, a person could go listen at Oye.org to the oral arguments in the Fisher case. 
and hear what the justices are asking about. Hear what's on their mind. Listen to the advocates. Yeah, yeah. Make their points. Some of these you can even get on the Supreme Court's own website. Um, recent you could do you that can. too, but Oye, Oye is a great you, site. Though, yeah, and yeah. you could get them all and it, you could search and it'll be easy. One thing and, you can get on Oye that is especially interesting, and I think I mentioned this, I think I even linked to it, maybe in that show, is like the oral argument in Loving Against Virginia, the case that outlawed yeah, it goes uh, way back. interracial marriage bans. Yep. Um, the, the catalog of oral argument tapes that they have one goes really, back a long way. One really cool thing that I found out is on Oye, and I think they just added this. But anyway, I, I just saw the link to this. They now have the audio of the opinion announcements. They've had that for a few years, but very sporadic. It's it's not every case. It's and I, th- I think they're filling that out. But yeah, it's really. You saw great. that I retweeted this, right? This is uh, in Glossop, the death yeah. penalty case. Yep, and. And I think we discussed this. I, I know I talked so about it. So they're a term with, behind. So they're just putting in this t- past terms because that yeah. was at the end of the term. So Glossop is the death penalty case in which Breyer indicated that he would be open to a challenge to the death, to the death penalty kind of on yeah. its face right. as, as, a, as a punishment. And Scalia has a response to that very much like he had back to um, uh, Blackman's original dissent when he decided he was going to start dissenting in these right. cases. Uh, I think I talked about this with Dolly on her podcast after – because she was in the courtroom and the word in the courtroom at the time, I don't remember if she said that she got this. I think she said that she kind of got this sense too, right. was that he was very kind of angry about this uh, or, you know, it was very uncomfortable in a way. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, you can listen to Breyer's announcement of his uh, dissent uh, and Scalia's response, which sounds, did you listen to it? It's very, I have not. No, you, you should. Li- it's it sounds very off the cuff. As it doesn't sound like he's reading anything. Uh, he reads like one line, and I forget if that's a line from Obergefell or from uh, from his opinion in Obergefell, or if it's he may have just reiterated that. I, I don't remember, but it's very yeah. interesting, and people should and oya.org. It's a great website, tons of resources, and this is one of the really fun things they do is that you can listen to the oral argument recording, you can yeah. listen to the opinion announcement recording. It's really fun. Yeah. I, I wish that they would do or that someone would make an RSS feed for the oral arguments. As they, so the oral arguments this term, if you're interested in following the court. Come out on Fridays. They come out on Fridays for all that week's arguments. And they post them as MP3s and I think even as real audio files. <laughs> I think <laughs> that might this? be right. Oh, it's which embarrassing. Kind of, it's embarrassing. Kind of and people at various times I think have made RSS feeds. The, the reason for this, I don't want to get too nerdy about it, but if you want to subscribe to a feed in your, if you want to subscribe to a podcast, you just get a podcast app and you like you type yeah. an oral argument, it finds it, et cetera. But if someone makes a a feed, it, you don't have to own the MP3 files. You just have to point to them. So anybody right. can make a feed, which is pointing to the Supreme Court's yeah. MP3 files. Okay. Uh, all I'm saying is I would love to have, to be able to subscribe in, in Overcast to oh, the Supreme Court. That'd be so great. Right? And, and we could maybe do this on our, but like I didn't have to do it every week and type it in, but it seems like the kind of thing that if you're already doing that, you could do. Right. And one reason to do that is because I could do it in Overcast, which would allow me both to knock it up a couple notches and to turn on smart speed. Yeah. Be so good. Let me just say this too. I've been meaning to say this. I, I feel like we've, we've promoted Overcast a number of times. On this show, because well, it's a great app. It's a great app. There are other ones too. You know, sure. um, Castro, Pocket Cast. There are a bunch of good apps now, and maybe there are even more. Let me just say this though: if you are ever the kind of person who thinks, "Boy, you know, I like your show, but you know, I don't have an hour and a half or an hour and forty minutes." Some of our shows have gone on quite long. Mm. Last week was only an hour and ten. By turning on Smart Speed, which kind of smartly skips the silences but doesn't yep. actually increase the rate of speaking, yep, and knocking it up a couple of notches. I knock uh, it up to, one notch. I knock it up two now. Yeah. But the, but I'm not, so I could treat our own audio and I could, I could 
right here before I shipped in, but I can knock it up a couple notches and I can Oy. do it. But I don't do that because some people I think like to listen to it more slowly, especially yes. if you're not as familiar. But if you're in, if you're familiar with law and you, you know all this stuff, you know, maybe uh, if you have a more of a background, you can listen to it faster. And, yeah. you know, and I want to give people that option. It's harder to slow things down than to speed things up. But, but in Overcast, you can listen to this thing at like 50% faster. For people who haven't heard us promote it before, go grab that app or another app, which lets you kind of cut the silences, you know, and trim things up. I've saved, I think, I think I'm up to like 58 hours saved. Wow. Because it tells you how much you've saved. I've saved years of my life. <laughs> maybe not years, maybe months, maybe a week, maybe a day. <laughs> maybe a couple of days. <laughs> Anywho. Is, is this what you were thinking about when we talked about getting through feedback fast? Yes. This is exactly <laughs> what I knew would happen. So what's next? Um, a long time listener, feedbacker, correspondent, extraordinaire, generator of whole shows. True. Is that all? Is that all true? All true. So much so that we will use his last name. Nicholas Georgiakopoulos is, is back in touch. I was worried about, you know, we have frequent correspondents that we hear from, hear from, hear from, and then we don't hear from them for a, for a while. Mm-hmm. Like, like listener bunny. Yeah. Who, I heard from recently again, yeah. and I was like, oh, I wonder what's going on with Listener Bunny. And then we, she was on a plane to Japan recently. Right. Did you see that? Did I see it? It's the reason John Hodgman liked a tweet of mine, which made me, <laughs> um, I decided to go on living. Oh, my God, Joe. Yeah. But, you know, really, to what end? One has to ask. <laughs> to what end? So, yes, I okay. saw Bunny's uh, thing for sure. Uh, so, uh, so Nicholas is a listener kind of in the, in the bunny category who's been listening for a very long time back to early days and has been a frequent and uh, source of joy for us. Would you say? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so Nicholas has gotten back in touch with us again and, and how would you characterize? I would quote, um, the, uh, anti-penultimate line of the email. <laughs> what, uh, what, what is <laughs> What does anti-penultimate mean? Uh, so ultimate is the last. Yes. Penultimate is the next to last. Mm-hmm. And anti-penultimate is the, ne- the next to next to last. Oh, boy. So so what if, if we, another layer is anti-anti or do you have another word? No. I think if you go earlier than anti-penultimate, you're just being a fusspot. One, one might argue you're already a fusspot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Quote, the bottom line, however, is that we barely know anything. Period. <laughs> Um, and, and he's, he's counseling humility in thinking about the difference between our, our national political structures, parliamentary systems, uh, different kinds of parliamentary systems, those that use proportional representation, those that unlike that, like more like the UK, which is sort of midway between us and pure, uh, proportional representation. Right. Um, so he's saying, you know, yeah, it looks, some things look like you can, you can get better outcomes in other systems. Some things that they look like worse outcomes. And the truth is, well, let me just say the kind of argument that you can make, right. Is that we have like this, I guess people call it first past the post, right. Who are in this business. Yeah. Single member first past the post district. So yes. if you're in a congressional, you know, if you're voting in a congressional district, whoever gets the most votes is going to be your representative. And whoever gets second to most votes gets nothing. Correct. Right. And in a proportional representation system, if a third of the votes went to the Green Party candidate and a third went to the National Front candidate and a third went to the conservative candidate, those would be added up. And in some way, the representation of the body would reflect those well, proportions. Two, but they're interrelated, right? Because the, it's, it's – I don't – 
I'm not an expert uh, in this in any way, either as a practical matter or as a political scientist, but I think it's hard to have proportional representation, except in the case where basically everyone is voting for the party list, not for individual members for their districts. So the single member district idea is another integral part of the puzzle. Yeah. Right? Am I voting for named individuals who in advance have announced that they are the candidates for that party in that yeah. district? If you do that, which is what the UK does, I believe, um, and what we do here, of course, you don't, you can't, it's very hard to do that and have proportional there representation. Are I don't know if it's even possible. There are all kinds of hybrid systems where you like have a slate of people who will be on the, you know, if they vote, you know, so you can, the party can commit to putting certain people out there and they're, they're and I'm sure there are all kinds of systems that we haven't thought of that are right. that are hybrids between these but, two. But in the polls, proportional but. representation thing, my understanding is conventionally you're voting on a party list. Yeah. And you may or may not get the person representing your district that you wanted, but you will get the party in proportion to the people who voted for that party in that entire country. So or, one one common critique of our system is that we you vote for a representative. But in fact, when they get, say, to the House of Representatives, all that matters is, is who the leadership is. The, the more effective parties are in imposing party discipline at the legislative level, the less it matters who your ac actual representative is. So, you, Well, right. That's actually – I wouldn't make that critique because I think actually that is – because I think it's a good thing that there are parties with concepts that argue for support. And uh, so I actually myself – prefer the proportional representation but, right. approach. But, but if the descriptive account is correct, then then people will say, I vote for the person and not the party are, are voting yeah. in an uninformed way. Or, or the, if, and if they if would the certainly be irked by the way things actually work out. Yeah, right. And so Nicholas's counsel quite wisely mm -hmm. and prudently is to someone like me who says things like, I prefer proportional, is you're, you're being a bit of a dork and uh, <laughs> because you don't really know how it would work out. Yeah. Uh, because trying to transplant some other institutional arrangement to here, you don't know how it's, you don't know how things would go. It's kind and of, it's true. I know yeah. it's almost, I, mean, I was reading his, his email and almost got like, like this, uh, biodiversity kind of, uh, vibe off of it. Right. Yeah. You, you change this thing radically and you think it, and, and it does accomplish the one thing you wanted to accomplish better, but maybe it leads, leads you open, uh, leads, maybe it leaves you open to, um, violent overthrow in a way that you weren't before. Like maybe part of our stability owes to the way that we do these things. I mean, right. things are complicated. Yes. And, and I think, you know, the thrust of the email is you can't pursue single-mindedly an objective and expect to have changed only the thing that yeah. you cared about when you do that. No, I would say as a critique of his email that uh, it is not as if the only way to create a system that has a uh, changes that are both too large and too fast is by having a parliamentary system. I, w I would think the, the, the experience of South and Central America is actually to the contrary, that um, there you've had lots of very convulsive changes in leadership, and it's because they pursued strong presidency models that are more like us, which is a critique of his I th of what he says here, although ultimately I suppose it's just a reaffirmation of what he says here, which is how things work out, it's hard to predict. Hmm. We really don't know very much about how all of it's going to fit together such that we can predict outcomes in some clean and straightforward way. I think that's true. Well, as a leading expert in models of representation and, and, and voting, I'm going to say that I agree with you. Cool. <laughs> no. <laughs>
these are complicated. We should do, you know, I, this came up in our episode with Lori Ringhand. Because we kept talking about how we should do a show with... And we got we to gotta figure this out at some point, right? An expert in parliamentary yeah, we, design. We need someone who can... That's You know, the thing we're looking for in all of our shows is is for someone who can come in and, you know, we've got an idea. Yeah. Like, you know me, Joe. I've, I've always got ideas, right? Yeah, you're an idea person. I, <laughs> I'm a big picture person. Yeah. <laughs> which usually means that you're full of crap, right? Well, yeah. So that's... We need we need to get our... Uh, no, I'm not saying you're some kind of, you know, biz dev douche bro or something. Oh, boy. No. You might I hope to, not. You might have to squeak that out. You might have to put the blurp sound on that. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you've got ideas. You got you got a no, lot of ideas. Lots, lots of people. Ideas are cheap. Lots of people have ideas. But one, one thing we're looking for in the show is, you know, we come in with the ideas, which are probably representative of the ideas that a lot of our listeners would have. If you're just kind of thinking about a question, right. then get someone who knows something to come in. Yeah, and tell us why we're wrong because we're all about learning. Always looking for why we're wrong, but also sometimes someone who's an expert can learn something from somebody who is outside of the field. This right. Is very true. So you know, there you go. What do we got next? I don't know. Uh, listener Amble. Hey. Um, and you know, so first of all, listener Amble compliments you. You remember the show where you mentioned that you write thank you notes to people yeah, for yeah. whose articles you enjoy? Yeah. And somehow we, we discussed how, boy, wouldn't it be great if more people did that? Mm. Uh, not just for articles, but for other things like express gratitude. And um, he did. And he, and he did it. Which is really cool. I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a surprise. <laughs> Uh, he did, and, and uh, I, he he emailed a classmate. Sounds like it went well too. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. And uh, I love that. So so then he asked a question. Do you want to tell us what this question is? Maybe we can chat about this. With so much content out there, how do you all select your own media diet? Roughly, how does it break down between legal topics, news, pop culture? What works? Could you not live without things like newspapers, blogs, and magazines? He says late night shows. Yeah, law reviews, all kinds of stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I I probably don't have a good answer to this. The question is, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if it's the deeper question. The, the, I think what he's really asking is, there are so many things that, that you could spend your attention on. Yes. Like your attention is a resource, right? It is, and it's a scarce resource. It's extremely scarce. Right. Um, especially if you're me. <laughs> uh, meaning that, like, I, I somehow have almost no attention span i think but mm. so but but we if you're trying to be mindful about your spending of your intention of your attention where do you spend it how do you go about thinking about that what do you spend it on so what about you joe how do you, do you are you mindful about this at all or are you i would like to be more but i think i am not yeah i'm not particularly mindful about it um w- which means i'm probably not getting the 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 sort of best balance of different things i well with media as in life generally i i rather obviously overeat um so i i I take in a lot of stuff um and so you know i read a lot i listen to podcasts i um you know i i read various news sites through and you were mentioning rss feeds before so i've got a news aggregator oh do you use rss um you have an rss reader dig is the is the name of the aggregator i use but oh, you still are on dig that is that i, I like dig. is it the still dig, a thing i used to be reader. on that yeah dig reader i like getting the sort of little blurpy items that i can cl- quickly go through and there's some there'll be a few that interest me and so you stuck with that and you didn't move over to reddit no I, the reddit thing i don't i kind of it doesn't it's very to me part of the whole Reddit thing, and it's been a while since I've looked at it. But it's very to me, it's very visually unattractive, yeah. and and that bothers me. And so 
I don't want to interact with something that I don't think is pretty. I was on Slashdot for a long time. You remember the Slashdot days? Sure. And then Dig for a while. I like some elegance in the design. So Reddit strikes me as not being particularly Yeah, I, I never made the move over to Reddit, although I check Reddit for uh, Kerbal Space Program stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, but other than that, Twitter for me. Twitter's Twitter's fun. I use Tweetbot I now. don't use an RSS thing. Hmm? Do you know there are people who are on Twitter, who use Twitter a lot and use the default Twitter client? I used to be such a person. So, Why? yes, I do know that there are people like that. I, I can't believe it. I mean, I, I don't think I would use Twitter. It's true. Um, so, he, so instead of Tweetbot or Twitter. So, I get a lot. Of, so, I'm following, like, I'm on the lookout for IP things. I'm on the lookout for antitrust things, mm-hmm. for telecom things. These relate to work. Um, I like um, I like laughing. So, <laughs> for example, there's this great show on Comedy Central called At Midnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's on most. It's on Monday through Thursday evening, but it's on quite late. Um, you might guess from the title at midnight that it starts at midnight, and you in fact you don't watch that, do you? You don't correct. stay up that late, do you? I, no? I don't watch it lot. Don't you go to bed at like seven or eight o'clock? Yeah, maybe sometimes six. <laughs> so, um, no, I do not watch at midnight live. What I do though is in the morning mm-hmm. as I'm eating my breakfast mm-hmm. and having a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Is I this watch three thirty, four thirty? Yeah, what time is thereabouts. This? Okay, um, I watch it online. Okay. And I love it because it's very funny and it goes very fast. And I, so I love starting my morning with some laughter. It's, I think it's great. You know, I, I consume a lot of different things. Do you, do you have a news site that you go to? Do you read? I look at the New York Times. I look at, uh, like I said, Dig. That's got some news items in there. So, you know. I, I occasionally will go. I'll scan the Times. I'm like a chicken pecking at a worm. It's just I'm out in the yeah. field. I'm kind of looking around, um, you know, seeing what's what. It's very disordered. Yeah, my, I'm disordered too. I, there's this there's this vision of myself and and the spending of my attention that I would like to be, and then there's reality. Yeah, where I'm a total failure. Yeah, I know? don't want any of these metrics or feedback or any of that tracking stuff or what. I don't want none of that on me because it will sh- hold up a mirror to my utterly dissolute and pointless existence, and I can't have yeah. that. Well, you're so upset about it that your your grammar just slipped. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that you're upset about this. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's mainly Twitter. I think where I get news. That's why I, and you're it, big with the Twitter. I, I I don't post a lot. Yeah, but no, but it, it's uh, you mentioned Twitter a lot. You mentioned things you've seen on it. Yeah, you know. So you're you're big with the Twitter. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I think it's I love a, that. Yeah, and yeah, I I really do. But I, yeah, I don't know. I feel you know this this email in some ways pains me because it it reminds me of of the many ways that i am a failed person yeah the predicate of his email of course is that we're um thoughtful and um interesting and accomplished people and it's just not really a great theory for writing an email to us (laughs) that's true that's true okay Um, i mean it's a very friendly theory i love the email it's very nice but i think it made us it it, it assumed we were better people than we are I think that's true. Okay, so the next uh, listener, Larissa. It's Larissa, right? Do you want to do you want to take a chance at uh, mispronouncing that? (laughs) Larissa is what I would have guessed. Oh, really? Notwithstanding that there's only one S, it just seems too correct for something that would be your first instinct. Yeah, her surname, which I will not use, obviously, uh, since she didn't. You mean last name? uh, Her surname, correct? um, Is I think a straightforward uh, name. We, uh, We I won't utter it, obviously. No, um, but so maybe her name, maybe it's not Larissa, maybe it's Larissa. Oh my gosh, or Larissa. Nope. Um, but 
No. You know. So so hit me with it. What what do we got well, here? Well, she's interested in finding out if uh, Professor Baradaran's work on banking was inspired by uh, Terry Pratchett. Do you know what I love about this email? Um, now, let me just say this. I don't know the answer to that. Nor do I. And and we need to ask Maris about it. Now, Maris has been on the show twice before. I know what you like about it, and that is that we're getting it now, even though the episode was from a long time ago, because what it means is people are listening to the episodes at, in various times and places as they learn about the show, and it's a wonderful thing. Now, now that is one thing. I, uh, w- that was not what I was going to say. Oh. I mean, it, it is nice when I go and I look at our stats, and I see that uh, at the within the first couple of days of the month, every one of our shows has been downloaded in the double digits. Yeah, it's cool. Like every prior show, right? That yeah. people are really it's going really back. And, that, and that's awesome. And and I'll say this too, like, uh, you know, we got a big bounce in listenership when uh, when I went on Dahlia's show. We yep. had that write up in the AV club and some people, you know, a lot of people tried us and they said, yeah, I don't care for that. I don't yeah. care for that. Right. But we, we retained a bunch of people. Right. Who, uh, which is what our goal is. Uh, I don't think we've reached everybody. You, you were on her show and you recorded her. You kind of put the shiv in me in that one. That was very oh, clever boy. of you. What, what do you mean by that? Well, you did it in such a way that I wouldn't be able to be on the show. Oh, that's not true. That's <laughs> that's she she needed a favor because she was no. Here. Just, this is what I'm co- I'm commending you for the way in which you orchestrated the set of facts. She was so staying really, here anyway. She needed to record a show. It appears as if there really was no other option, and that was what was so <laughs> great about it. It was Borgia-like in the level of of sort of political accomplishment. It was Machi- It was it was Machiavellian <laughs> in the best sense of that word. She was already staying here, and and what luck that she needed to record a podcast, and she's staying with me. So, you know, I just want people to know I've still got the the switchblade jutting out the side of my neck. Oh, my gosh. No, if I were trying to put the shiv in you, you'd know it. (laughs) (laughs) I yeah, you're right about that. (laughs) Uh, No, but what I loved about this is that it gives us a chance to mention that Maris's book, How the Other Half Banks. Yeah, which is being very well received. Yeah. An awesome review in The New York Times. She gave a talk. I think was it today in in, might have been at the the National Press Press Club? Club. Um, there's some, been some, uh, uh, some, um, chatter from, what's that award? What's the journal? Oh, the award? Pulitzer. The, yeah, there's some Pulitzer chatter, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is awesome. Right. And this is not like when you say we're, you know, we're, we're eligible for a Peabody. No, we are up for a Peabody. Did you know that? <laughs> so <laughs> we, annoying. We, we, she, she, do you, do you remember is, the, do you remember the episode we did with Tom Goldstein? I do. And Tom Goldstein and the, and the crew at SCOTUS blog won a Peabody. They did. Right. And I'd been doing this thing for a few weeks before that saying, Joe, did you know we're up for a Peabody? Yeah. Which of course we are. In uh, the sense that absolutely everything on earth could be. No, not everything. I think we, everything in the media is up for a well, Peabody. that may be, but we were up for one. And I mentioned that a few times and it seemed to irritate you. And the one thing we did well, <laughs> before we, before we called Tom, you, you pretty much begged me not don't to not me- mention, don't this. mention the Peabody thing. <laughs> No, I think hilarious. you're being I think you're being unkind to Marissa because she really is, there really is talk of a Pulitzer. There really for her. is, yeah. And so right. that's not really that's not nice for you to do that for her. Oh my gosh, she, she's be, she really. Oh my is, gosh, am I being this not book nice? is being very well received? It's very well received. Well, it's, I, she's I agree. really doing great with it. It's a great book. Yes. So we want to not a rising tease time, her about a, a this, rising some, some crazy Peabody nonsense, <laughs> right? I don't know if it's crazy. I'm, I'm, look, I don't, no one's, no, <laughs> oh. like, like, I've not heard that we're not Do in not make me get out of this chair. 
<laughs> no, she really is. This, this book is, it, it's amazing. Um, I, I think that I can't think of anyone who has gotten more of an oral argument bump. <laughs> than, than <laughs> I mean, look, look at what, look, look where she's gone from her right. two appearances. It's so true. No, it, it is amazing. How the other half banks. If we, if we are, if, if she ever has a moment to come back on to talk about this, of course, we're going to jump at the chance. She yeah. may be too big for us at this point. Let's it be honest. Be. Let's be, be honest about this. Right. But, um, uh, so the answer is we don't know. So we need uh, the to ask answer her. to this question. We need yeah. to ask her whether there's any Terry Pratchett connection here. But this is a great opportunity to let people know to check out that book. We'll put a link to it in right. the in the show notes. And uh, congratulations to Marissa. Indeed, it's awesome. She's so uh, she's so smart, so creative, so passionate, mm-hmm. and all of that is expressed in the book. And it's just wonderful. It, it's one of the. It's like a perfect marriage between like academic curiosity and. And application, yeah. desire to solve a real problem, and, yeah. you know. So, uh, so our episodes with her were about uh, the postal banking idea. I think it was a paper yeah. that probably, um, you know, is it, certainly continuous with this book, right? I mean, definitely. Uh, and then the, the other one was about teaching, which is also a, a fun episode. Yeah. So, uh, third episode with Marissa will be about her Pulitzer Prize winning book. <laughs> exactly, um, she'll make an appearance on the Peabody winning podcast and what. <sighs> Not mention the Peabody. Yeah, you don't want me to jinx it, do you? No, it makes you too nervous. It does. <laughs> okay, so um, thank you, Larissa. We will find out about that. Duly noted. What do we got next, Joe? Listener Russell. Okay, hit me with it. I think Listener Russell is the one who told us about putting dots in Gmail. I think he was. Yeah, I think you're right. And that's not about. That's not what this is about. No, this this is a. This is a much well. I don't that not that that one wasn't substantive because that's knowledge that you can use. Totally put dots wherever you want in a Gmail address right. and it works. Yeah, this one is about our show with Mary Ellen O'Connell and Killer Robots, among other things. Among other things, and and he says like you know he he doesn't know exactly what it was, but he was kind of frustrated with the show in a way, which is I don't mind. I don't mind if our listeners hear a show and are kind of frustrated because yeah, like, mind. you know, there, there's yeah. an idea in it. that's kind right. of irritating them. Like, I, you know, I think no, this, I, will you say, I remember that conversation. We, she had to leave. We were cut short a little bit. And I think there was more that we did want to explore than we were able to explore in terms of the automated killing systems. That was later in the episode. Yeah. And we had spent time talking about, um, some drone issues and other issues. And so we didn't have as much time on killer robots. Yeah. That's unfortunate. As it would have been nice to have. Yeah. So, and so maybe part of his frustration was we weren't fully exploring the automated killing technologies because that's mostly what his email is about. Well, we're not going to do this email total justice, obviously. You're looking at it. I'm looking at it. How would you what, – what do you think is the important thing to, to hit here though? Uh, I mean in a way it's it's continuous with, with uh, Professor O'Connell's perspective that um, – and, and her – I think she mentioned a few times the notion that oftentimes the technology isn't as new as we think. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about automated killing systems, he's talking about the fact that, look, we, there's already many senses in which weapons are at a remove from the people who suffer the yeah. weapons fate uh being killed by an ICBM or whatever it might be. And the, and so you sound like you're ready to be a, a uh, press spokesman with people who meet weapons fate. Yes. Um, that was a bit. Yeah, it's a little bit. A yeah. little bit euphemistic. A little bit euphemistic, yeah. Right. Uh, so if you use an IBM, uh, excuse me, an ICBM, 
to, uh, you know, reduce people to a cinder, um, then you're doing something at a distance, right? You're not, it's not like, presumably it's, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, if you, if you planned it well, (laughs) uh, you're not there when it lands. Um, so, uh, so it's not as if, uh, the, the, the world standard on, uh, military conduct is the only thing that's allowed is a knife fight from five feet or less. I mean, right. that's not how the world works. Which he also mentioned for a long that, time. Which he also mentioned in that show, if I remember. Um, yeah, hand to hand combat. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, so so things are a matter of degree, right? The in the in the fourth uh, fourth to last. Oh, oh, so this is right. So ultimate penultimate anti penultimate anti 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 penultimate. Ultimately, I suppose we have a question of degree. I think that's right. I mean, landmines, there's a huge gap in time between when you're de- when they're deployed and when they m- might explode and kill somebody. Right. Um, you know, shooting a, a gun from a very great distance, obviously much less time, right? Uh, shooting a missile, um, huge distance, m- less time than a landmine, more time than a gun, right? Right. I mean, there's, you can map these things in various, on various dimensions. How far away are you? How long in time? Is there a gap between your decision to use it and using it? The important thing here is to is to connect the the reason that you're asking about this gap to the purposes that you have in the long run, right? I mean, okay. if so, you're going to be sensible about the law, right? Yeah. And so it may, it may be a difference of degree, but the ultimate question is: does that difference of deg- does that difference in degree in terms of uh, either temporal gap or causation gap? I mean, we've mentioned both, right? That you can you know, you can program something and it can have an effect right away, pretty much, uh, yeah. even if you didn't think it would. I mean, still, there's a there's an indirection of causation there that we've talked about, right? That, yep. um, but the important thing to connect here is like, what are you trying to minimize? What are you what is the problem that you're trying to solve in the future? And how does the indirection, whatever it is, indirection of time or causation, how does it impact that? And it might just be a difference in degree, but that difference in degree might make all the difference. Depending on the harm that you're worried about, right? So if the – And the way that you construct, um, among other things, moral responsibility relating to last week's discussion. Mm. That, um, you know, especially when what you're attenuating is causal influences. Right. That interacts heavily with your sense of how moral responsibility can work and should work in a given context. That's what we've mentioned a few times, like with – you know, I keep mentioning the Ryan Kahlo show where this first came up and then again with Frank and and I think again in, in the episode with Mary, this idea of strict liability, mm-hmm. right? Just what strict liability – I don't think – do we define it in the shows? I, I always feel like we've got listeners who have you know, not had tort law before and right. so don't know the difference. But strict liability basically makes you liable. Without careful inquiry into fault. Without almost any inquiry into fault, right? Yeah. Just but for cause, you know, this this happened because well, you of have this to be thing. the provider of it. Exactly. But other than that, right? We don't ask whether you whether you should have done something differently, whether you could have done, done something, something differently. differently. Right. It's just because you're in this, and this is the various really good theoretical reasons why you might make someone involved in, in in an enterprise like a manufacturer or something like that just automatically liable for all the harm caused by that enterprise. And it's not a judgment about fault or morality so much as it is about you know, centralizing the costs in that person for yeah. in order to achieve various objectives, right? Right. And so one thing that strict liability can do in these circumstances is basically to collapse that moral question, right? Just gets, you know, it doesn't doesn't matter how indirect the harm from the autonomous car was. So, you know, right. you, you didn't program it to drive off a cliff 
or to hit a child in the street or to, you didn't intend it, but we're not going to ask like whether you could have programmed it better. We're not going to ask any of that. We're just going to make you pay what that does. Then the prices of your cars will be higher for all of them because you'll have to pay for future judgments and then right. all of society will insure against these kinds of things. And now it is a way also to focus if, if you're the firm that sells those cars, it is a way for you to focus. Uh, it gives you even more reason to focus on trying to minimize those accidents. Right. As, as a way to manage the cost. Right. Right. You can manage the cost by charging more for the car and that way you're passing that cost onto your consumer or you can find other ways to avoid that cost. Of course, some costs Because you won't discount the cost by the, by, the prop, by the chance that you'll be able to avoid paying. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you can a little bit, but, but right. you know, if someone brings a suit, you're going to pay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so yeah, it's a help, that's a helpful strategy in terms of social response to risk. Fair point. Okay. What's next? Uh, it's, uh, th- th- again, that's not going to do the, this email justice. Well, I mean, well, uh, we, we read it. We talked about it. But, you know. I'm going to push back on your – it does do it justice. Uh, we read it. We've talked about it. Mm-hmm. We've learned from it. Uh, I'm grateful for it. I think you are too. Very much so. That's all the justice you get in this world. Okay, <laughs> Russell? <laughs> None of us owe any, each other a damn you, thing. You, right. No, that's true. But you know what I mean. Like, like one, of the great, one of the joys of the show is the feedback that we get. And there's so many times when we get an email where I say, boy, if this were like a class yeah. and I got a response like this, yeah. we could do the whole class on this and it would be awesome. It, totally. Right? And so in that sense, um, it's not – it's full justice, you know? Uh, we got a nice email from listener Dave, longtime listener David, yeah. who just was like a thumbs up, guys. Thanks yeah, for doing what you do, awesome. which is awesome. So thank you for that, uh, David. That's uh, that meant a lot. Listener Jared. Listener Jared. All right. So tell me about this one, Joe. I'm putting it all on you this week. Hey, that's so fair. Here's the here's what I thought the real gem in this lovely email, which was about Al Brophy's uh, episode with us. And which was such a great episode. It was great. It's about oh. the Nat Turner Rebellion, yeah. about the slavery, about uh, Confederate monuments, about our attitude toward the past. And listener Jared is obviously someone who cares about history. And, and um, he was uh, he, he's struck by the fact that you can get some insight when you're studying history and learning about various historical figures. If you if you try to find people who represent a point of view or a perspective that ultimately prevailed, but at the time and in the community that they had that view, they were in the minority, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we were talking about Judge Ruffin. He points to Judge Gaston, who who Al actually mentioned, but not by name. You can talk about Robert E. Lee, but you could also talk about Ulysses Grant or Sherman or, I mean, there are all kinds of generals who made different choices than Lee made, right? Right. So, it's a way to try to appreciate how complex history is. History in the moments where people were living is every bit as complex as the moments we're living right now. Right. The difference is the, only the barest shadow of a, f- of a slight little bit of information about then has survived to now. Yeah. Uh, and so we know so much less about then than we know about now. Yeah. Uh, so it seems l- like less complicated. It wasn't and, less complicated. And part of that show is that their whole culture is somewhat alien to us. So it's not it as really though... It really is a foreign country. It's not the as though you could identify, land. well, who was in, in terms of slavery, if you're going to pair it to, say, uh, the gay rights movement now, mm-hmm. right? Which is probably more apropos of, like, Jim Crow. But anyway, uh, who was a Kim Davis figure? Who was a, who, who was a uh, um, like, an Andrew Sullivan 
figure? You know, who who was uh, someone in between? Who was an Anthony Kennedy? Who was like, there are all these complex attitudes. And so one layer of complexity may be saying, well, there are people who had all kinds of attitudes in between. Who are heroes? Who are villains? Who are the people in between? And like recognizing that there aren't pure heroes and villains, but the people who are complicated is maybe part of that task. But I think it's important to to remember that that you can't make that one-to-one mapping because it is just such an alien culture. And so part yeah. of what, what I really liked talking, reading Al's article and talking to him was, well, the title of that episode was the sense of just how brutal it was. Yeah. Like, I, I just can't even imagine. It's just totally unlike anything today. Anyway, I, I don't know. I don't know, if we're, I don't know if we're getting at what the core point is here. People write us very rich, long, thoughtful emails. We, we're very lucky with our listener feedback. Don't you think? Oh, I think so. I mean, it's really high quality stuff. We provoke some interesting thoughts in people. Listener Aaron, very friendly shout out. Welcome, Aaron, to our listening, our body of listeners. His his first show was uh, the one with with Steve Vladek. Post Obergefell. Yeah. Welcome. What about this email from listener Nick? This is the last one. True. This is a really intelligent email, don't you think? Yeah. No more so than the other ones, but... Um, yeah, but I mean... Because the other ones are also very intelligent. Okay, so let me, let me, let me rephrase that. This one... Uh, this is this is an email that made me think about what it was that we recorded, you know, critically. Okay, say more about that. This well, is this is in reaction to last week's episode. Yeah, this is the about free will, and, which you think should have been called something different. Yeah, but that's water under the bridge or over the dam or whatever they say. No, water is never truly over the dam. Okay, under the dam, over the bridge. Um, that's water that's not here anymore. You don't want to say what you would have called the show. People know. <laughs> You think so? Yeah, people can guess. Really? Sure. I would be listeners interested to hear write voices. in and yeah. specify what the title was because I said it and I said it clearly and it was so obviously what should have been the. Title. Oh, now that's too much of a hint. Now people will know. Okay. And let me let me just say that I call you know I I title I oral argument podcast it, at gmail dot com. It just used to be it used to be that I would send you an audio of the a rough cut of the show after. <laughs> Do you that happened that? like twice. Well, that was like early days, probably first 10 episodes. Super early. Probably first 10 episodes. And I would say, here it is. What do you think? Do you right. have any title recommendations? Yeah. And I, would wait. I, don't, I don't do that anymore. That's we don't, we don't do that anymore. And so I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm kind of cutting up the show. I'm, you know, getting like the bad sounds out of the show. You know, if someone's like sniffling or something, I usually cut stuff out <laughs> like that. And some, there, sometimes there's little things to I try to make the show listenable and enjoyable and 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 make it sound good but usually you know I I try also try to keep it live so I try not to cut out anything right. that changes the actual how it actually proceeded yeah but what it means is that I'm also listening for content because I'm doing the show notes at the same time yeah and I'm also trying to listen for good titles because the title has to be said during the show as you know that's our rule right and sometimes I, get to, sometimes I get to the end of it and I realize oh my god I haven't I don't know a title. <laughs> I forgot to listen for a title and I'll be darned if I'm going to go back and listen to that thing again. <laughs> Cause I've spent like been through it three times as long with it as it, it actually yeah. lasts. Like, exactly. Oy. So, uh, so this time I chose what I chose and, and Joe disagrees. And, well, well it was just, it just wasn't the right one, but it was, um, I think the perfect title, but anyway, um, okay. Back to listener, Nick, who wants to insert Occam's razor into this week's philosophical puff pastry. I don't think it's good to put razors in pastries, but <laughs> it sounds like well, your so, mileage may vary. Sounds like a Halloween thing from like the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> Take all your puff pastries to to the emergency room and have them X-rayed before eating them. Oh my! It could be a razor in there. That's right. Do not hand out 
any of your uh, Halloween treats en croute. I think listener Nick's point, though, is that if one were to uh, razor blade a puff pastry, it would deflate. And his mission here is to deflate the overinflated mm. philosophical content of last week's show, which oh, I have was, to say I very much enjoyed. I very much enjoyed it, too. And I don't think he was being quite that that harsh. You know, it was a challenging. I mean, it's very difficult to talk in the abstract, as we were trying to do, uh, about things like free will, personal responsibility. Um, is there such a thing as an uncaused cause? Um you know, these are very challenging ideas and we were doing our best. And the thing that motivated us to do it in part was the discussions we've been having about criminal law related topics in many ways over many episodes, Mm -hmm. really throughout the existence of the podcast. And so we were trying to tackle something that had been on our mind in a lot of different ways for a long time. And I think we, we made a start at it. Uh, and it's, again, I think it's very hard to do it. Uh, but, but I enjoyed it. Well, listener, Nick's point is that the reality of criminal law is more prosaic. Yeah. Right. That it is. Which isn't surprising. That, that, that um, people, you know, so, so part of the, the premise in our discussion with Adam Colbert last week was, was that the law takes account of responsibility and that moral responsibility is an important input into criminal law. Mm-hmm. And, and that explains, or at least that is the obvious purpose behind doctrines, which, it, which, either decrease sentences or decrease the severity of an offense or excuse an offense altogether or justify an action based on some theory about moral responsibility. You see that in the law, right? We gave the example of what, um, uh, in flagrante delicto, I think last time, right? Mm -hmm. This is the usually at that point, usually the husband, but it's like a spouse who sees another spouse in the act with another person who then immediately shoots that person. Right. Uh, has has been a at least in some places a traditional defense of some kind. I, I forget or is that mitigation a, or so, right. It so, makes it it takes it from murder to manslaughter. Yeah, right? I just like remember my kind of Yeah, exactly. Sort of and there's other stuff like that, right? right? Where if you the the morality of the and 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 as um, uh, listener Nick points out, I mean, mens rea is oftentimes you know that's a, a crucial idea in yeah. in criminal law. And mens rea just means mental state, including so, the degrees that it can occupy. And what yeah. that says about our theories of, of who's causing what. And the states have very different ways of describing these things. But the model penal code breaks it down into purpose, which is the most aggressive kind of mental state. If your conscious object is to commit the act, which is bad. Uh, and then knowledge, if you know that your act is going to have this bad effect. And then reckless, if you're aware of a high probability that it will happen, you do it anyway. And then negligence is like you should have been aware that this would happen. And then strict liability. Uh, so th- that's kind of the model penal code of breaking up the mental states, one the attitudes one might have towards one one's act, and that mental state interacts with the act that you do to result in uh, an offense that we find either severe or not as severe, yeah. and, and we punish accordingly. And and Nick points out that although mens rea arguably serves this purpose of kind of probing moral responsibility. So m- many jurisdictions have a jury instruction on intention, which says that you are to presume that the person intended that which was the result of the, uh, the natural result, the natural, acts. necessary, or probable consequence of the conduct. So yeah. if, if you do something and it's a natural consequence of that thing, that you intended that thing, then you you probably intended it. So yeah. 
So it's not as though we we undergo some kind of psychological test, like in right. like in like in Blade Runner, where you're asking, you know, you're trying to right. figure out like whether per, you know, you do, we don't do that. Instead, you usually these presumptions, in fact, in fact, ring out a lot of the moral responsibility uh, concern that you might have in the law. I, I, I think that's his point, uh, right? Well, that, no, I would say, well, maybe that the actual. Uh, I would fact, say it differently. I would say they 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 don't ring it out. They instantiate it in a way that that makes it clear everyone thinks it's perfectly straightforward, and and doesn't need to be problematized at all. Right, but I, but I think it, it it's how we operate, it's how we function, how we talk to each other, it's how we think of each other, and therefore, of course, that's if the if the natural result of the act you take is a particular result, then that's that's of course you intended that result. That's how human beings are. Right, they act to bring about results. So the law instructs people accordingly. He ends by saying, I'm not convinced that philosophical analysis penetrates our legal experience beyond mere linguistics and semantics. This is a, a law in action, law in the books distinction, right? Yeah. I mean, it is, um, which I very much appreciate, right? Yep. That, that if you want to understand the law we have, uh, you need to understand the law in action as it's actually applied. Yes. Which is something to talk about on maybe future shows in, in more depth, which is maybe one of the things that got me really, my the gears turning when I when I read this email, because it's it's an attitude toward law that I very much agree with. Yep. I mean, I agree with you that this is a law in action point, And I agree with you that it, that is a highly worthy thing to focus on. Yeah. I would say though, in addition, a lot of the law in action is lawyers talking. Mm-hmm. So to, to dismiss something as semantics, I think is misses the point a little bit. Yeah. Um, a lot of the activity of the law is, lawyers speaking to themselves and each other about law that that is part of the law in action itself yeah so you can't dis you can't disaggregate law talk from law in action yeah I there's think. A, there is a i maybe that's the maybe that's a similar point to to what just occurred to me and and you, you know we talked at the beginning how i teach this legal theory class right and and a big part of that class is help is trying to translate the what is law question into a question which is about practice right that connecting it to to practice and i think you know it just to do a little piece of this i don't think that was a part of our recording i think we talked about it before we started recording oh did we talk oh okay yeah, yeah people but, missed the good discussion didn't they <laughs> <laughs> but we've talked about this class not, ledge reg before this in other episodes you're so right this, we didn't talk about that at all at the beginning of this we just started yeah. with feedback didn't we correct gosh i should have hit that button earlier Anyway, um, no, we talked about it with the podcast thing, Joe, mm. the cyberloquium. Oh, we have modern American legal theories. Yeah, yeah but we didn't, we didn't talk about ledreg. Just make this your point, ledreg. dude. This isn't ledreg. I'm talking, first of all, it's legreg. Um, and, and secondly. <sighs> and, Do not get me on a gif jif jag. Well, of course, it's gif. We both agree on that. And the yes, other, the it other is GIF, pronunciation and is horrible. Ledreg. And yes, it's legreg it's legisla- and it's gif. It's not leg. It's not legislation. It's legislation. So it's ledge reg. No. Move on, governor. No. Um, <laughs> proceed, governor. You can't even get that right. Oi. <laughs> it's please proceed. <laughs> can you People, make your, can you make your point, please? Yeah. No, so so the the the, the point is that um boy, what is the point? Um <laughs> you're the one who asked. <laughs> um <laughs> Well, you asked a question, I think. I can't for the life of me remember what your question was. God. 
this is the worst show. Um, uh, anywho. The great thing is it can only get better from that's, this moment. That's true. From this moment. This is, this is rock bottom. <laughs> Although I, I keep saying that. I think every episode. I... <laughs> Part of the problem with making this connection um, is that in uh, is, is, is time scale, right? That when you look at um, what it means to practice law over a very, over a brief period, it does seem as though the kind of the philosophical inputs have less bite, mm-hmm. right? That it doesn't, you know, this is the justification that who cares? Like it doesn't matter because this is what the law is, right? This is the typical response of the black letter person um, to the person who wants to bring in some theory or justification, right? It doesn't, the courts already decided this, this is what the law is, right? And I won't get into it now. Holmes has a great response to this in the path of the law. Um, but if you look over a broader period, you see enormous change in received wisdom about law's grounds and, importantly, because if it were just that, maybe it wouldn't matter, and in what the law is on account of those grounds, yes. right? So um, to give just one example. And they change because they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. So just to give one example, law and economics, right? The dramatic rise of law and economics and, and law and economics reasoning in law. Yep. Pioneered, in the last 40 years, explosive growth right. in that as a mode of reasoning, and it has led to real changes in doctrine. Antitrust law mm-hmm. from 1975 to today, unrecognizable, yeah. actually. Pre-1975, if you took that and then said, and look at doctrine today, and you didn't know anything that had happened in between, you would think you were talking about a totally different body of law. And that's because of economic analysis of law right. and the rise of it and the prominence of it. So it's made real differences. Tort law, criminal law, statutory interpretation. I mean, just this is the idea of taking account of concepts like efficiency and things that you could translate into efficiency, just the the methods, the way of thinking about it. A brief that you wrote today on an area in which this touched, which is many areas, would just not be recognizable as as an acceptable brief, you know, 100 years ago. I mean, and it's not just changes in in language. It's also changes in what counts as an argument. This is something else we can get into when we talk again about modeling and all this. And a brief from 100 years ago today would look quite deficient. Right. You take the 100 years ago brief and you put it on someone's desk today and they're going to ask you things like just to carry the law and economics thing, depending on the body of law that you're talking about, the person's going to say, there's nowhere in this brief where you talk about what the basic incentives are. Why? Right. Like, why aren't you talking about that? The judges are going to ask about it. Why are you talking about it? And I think this is true in the criminal law, too. I mean, that it's not just law and economics. It's it's changing notions of what makes people responsible for things. Of course. And and this isn't just, you know, there are rape shield laws. There's uh, the I remember as a 1L having a whole unit on like battered women syndrome and testimony. I mean, there are all kinds of society changes and a society changes. Your idea of what counts as justifying conduct or as passing the bonds of criminality into criminality, these change, right? Um, passing the bounds, not bonds. It's too late. Um, but but your, your idea of what counts as criminality changes, right? Uh, yes. And, but that, that process is slow. And so if you're practicing day to day, it can seem like it doesn't matter what you cite as a justification because this is the law, right? But over a broad enough period, it matters very much the, you know, the justificatory frameworks that we use 
that explain that doctrine. Mm -hmm. You keep hammering away at those things and people attitudes change. And I guess, you know, one way of looking at this, uh, um, this very interesting email is maybe to suggest that arguments made in briefs are not the things that actually change that over time, but like societal norms change. And then suddenly black letter changes. That's an account. You you know what I'm saying? Like that's a way of reading what he's saying. Yeah, yeah, that may be. And the, the, the time scale at which these things happen makes it hard to know. If, right. that, if that's a more accurate description of what of what's actually occurring, of w- what's causing what to change. And it may also depend on the case. And, and there are a great many cases which are maybe resolved in a technician style way, right? Where you just, you find the law that applies, you apply the law, and there's pretty much only one way it can come out. And uh, um, my experience in practice was that there were cases that were, they were all about the reasons Right, you had to find. You know, I just remember. Well, those are the ones that people tend to invest money in. The yeah, ones right. that w- that where you don't need to worry about the reasons are ones that lawyers probably don't need to get pulled into because yeah. the because business people, for example, or just private people who are trying to figure out what to do, mm-hmm. um, they can figure it out right without getting lawyers to sort of. Well, I really we need to think about this some more. The reasons don't seem clear. The outcome, therefore, doesn't seem clear. Et cetera, et cetera. And in cases, at least in civil right. law, this is what now criminal practice may be different, or, right? or prisoner litigation, right? Going back to our show about um, Posner's uh, with Amanda Frost, right? Yeah, the, that attracted the ire of listener Chad. Yeah, um, uh, you know, these are cases where maybe you you do need someone to say, "Hey, the reasons matter in this case. There's something interesting here. Or there's something." problematic here and the reasons matter so that so that means when people are talking about those reasons and that's what lawyers are focusing on because those are the cases that are hard to resolve using currently available tools without more thinking and more discussion well that suggests that the thinking and discussion is awfully important it's central to figuring out what to do next okay it's kind of a dworkinian idea of, of what's the next good part of the story what's the best way to tell the next part of the story hmm this is ronald dworkin you're talking yeah. about most listeners aren't, or many listeners aren't going to, aren't going to be familiar with that. Really? Should, should we describe it? I, I don't know. Maybe. The Ron, Ronald Dworkin's sort of chain letter theory of judicial output, right? Yeah. If you've never heard this before, listeners. So, so, so this is uh, Ronald Dworkin. Uh, I don't know how much we can't go back to the beginning and talk about positive. But anyway, so this is Ronald Dworkin trying to um, explain how judicial decisions are constrained and unconstrained at the same time, mm-hmm. right? How you don't have to take a view that either the law is mechanical and dictates only one result and the job of the judge is to, although he does that, I mean, I'm not, or, I or instead is out. completely creative and yeah. completely unconstrained. Yeah, but he does subscribe to the right answer to the thesis. So I, I you know what I mean? Like I, I without well, talking more that, anyway, but that on me for mentioning wrong. Yeah, I know, but I didn't so advance here's the, the cool thing to think about though. If you've never heard about this before, so he's, uh, he gives us an um, analogy of, of the, the chain novel. Imagine you're writing The Christmas Carol. Uh, uh, not The Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol. Okay. Right? Uh, and someone, other people have written chapters one through seven, whatever, right? And, and maybe we're to the point where Scrooge is about to get visited by the ghost of Christmas future. Or maybe he's already been visited by and maybe he's trying to make it. I forget. Do you remember where he puts it in the Law's Empire? I don't. Um, anyway, we're, we're nearing the end and Scrooge is now going to make a choice about what kind of person he's going to be after having been visited by the Christmas ghosts. And now the novel's not finished. It lands at your desk. How are you going to finish this thing up? Yeah. Like how, what, what, what is the next chapter that you're going to write? Yeah. And 
What's so clever and interesting about this approach, and you know, Dworkin's a big believer that law is an interpretive exercise. The judge's role is in irreducibly interpretive, which means that you're kind of you're engaged in a kind of uh, um, understanding of the materials that went before, a criticism of them, and a, an engagement with those materials, and, a, and an authoring of a of a, th- mm-hmm. of a thing which is consistent with those materials and and makes the best of all those materials, the whole body of materials. So, which is what you would do if you're writing the next chapter. Like your goal is to make a great book. Right. And you can't make a great book if you just say, ah, chapters one through seven sucked. Right. And I'm just going to write now. Now Now there's this new guy named Bob. And now space aliens are going to come in (laughs) and, you know, they're going to mine spice on the planet Arrakis. And, you know, it's going to be, I've got a much better. With this guy named Bob. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't do that. That would be a terrible book, right? So you got to write a chapter that fits. You know, that it isn't con- doesn't contradict chapters one through seven, that, yeah. that fits with those chapters. And yet it hasn't been written yet. So you are being, you are creating. You're creating. Even as you act within constraint. You might write a chapter where Scrooge wakes up and says to himself, boy, those are some crazy dreams. And then goes on and continues to be right. selfish and everything else. You know, there's no, people don't change would be the theme yeah. of that book, right? Another book you could write is the one that was actually written where Scrooge, you know, changes, carries Tiny Tim around on his shoulders and brings a Christmas. Was it yeah, a the duck? Dreams are, the dreams are transformative, reconnecting him with a part of himself that he thought he had lost. Yeah, and, you're you're yeah. not answering my question, though. Was it, a duck or, was, was it a duck or a turkey that he brought over? Oh, I'm sure it was a goose. I'm sure it was a Christmas goose. Okay, see, I, I couldn't remember. Listeners, let us, let us know if it was a goose. <laughs> oral argument at podcast, uh, oral argument podcast at gmail.com. That makes, so the point is that you can't write anything you want, right? Uh, you're constrained. And yet there is a sense of openness and yet within that openness one of those possible paths that fits is going to be better right one of those makes for a better book and the process of going through those you know interpreting what came before and authoring the next chapter right Dworkin thinks there is a best chapter right and that yep. the ideal author who we in another analogy calls Hercules, but uh, would know what that best chapter is. It was the chapter that makes the best possible book. Now, I guess what my comment before, when I said that law and action can't be separated from lawyers talking, because that's part of what law and action is, mm-hmm. is lawyers talking to themselves and each other about what the law is. Mm-hmm. I guess I just revealed, without quite realizing it, um, that there's a sense in which I am with Dworkin on this to a degree. Right. To, there is a at least some extent to which I really buy into the idea that law is a, very much an interpretive and dialogic process. So mm-hmm. uh, unlike Nick, who I think is staking out a somewhat anti-Dworkin position um, of, you know, people are are fundamentally mysterious black boxes is the phrase he uses yeah. for the human mind. And, right. and we do, we, or, we, the, the law treats them that way. We, yeah, we treat them that way. We manage a process. We, we manage, um, we use these various words and phrases to cope with the fact that there's a lot we don't understand by putting, you know, there's sort of, we're giving ourselves little markers and that, so that we can just move things around as needed and manage things as needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the theoretical stuff isn't, you know, as he said at the end, and you quoted about, you know, is it, does, does philosophical analysis really penetrate anything mm-hmm. much? You know, if you're Dworkin, I think you'd say, absolutely it does. It's, it is critical. It's, it's part of, it's part of the very way that law constitutes itself. I don't know how much more to say. Well, I guess we're done. I think Dworkin's not quite right. You think Dworkin is not quite right? Right.
Okay. But I think we'll have to wait on that. Take that up on some other occasion. Yeah. Have a dwarf. I, th- I thought we were going to talk about that. I, I thought we were going to talk about this stuff on, on this show, but we, because we were going to get through the feedback in about 10 minutes. You remember that? Yeah. I think we should talk about, dwar- we should have a Dworkin episode at some point. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be fascinating. Don't you? I, I do. I do. Um, Who would be a good guest for that? We we could do it. We uh, are there. Is there someone who, of course, Dworkin passed away not too long ago, just yeah. a year or two ago. Not that he would have ever agreed to be a guest. Very but, close to the time that Coase passed away. Mm, uh, and I wonder if there. Who, Speaking of law and economics, from who earlier is a, in the show. who is a sort of uh, is there is there a there are a bunch of people a Dworkin figure a bunch of people who could who could who could be good to talk to about this. But we oh. could also just do this, you and me. We could we could do Hart. We could do Dworkin. I think um, I think we'll lose. We could do Fuller. <laughs> what we could do Fuller. Yeah. Oh, there's also you know modern figures too who are you know from Brian Leiter to Shapiro. Sure. Um. Other there are others. So you know there's more. Scott Shapiro. Yeah. Legality. Yes. Yeah. I have thoughts about that too. Lon Fuller is the person you were mentioning before. That's right. You didn't use his first name, but that's that's who you no were first names referring to. Lon Fuller. Listener Fuller is what I call him. Listener Fuller. <laughs> 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 listening from beyond the grave mm-hmm. now a fully ensouled angel not just demi that's a, that's a that's our halloween episode where we are doing a seance to raise fuller none of this is going to make it is there anything usable in this whole thing that we've recorded yes i feel like there's not well, that's very frustrating for me to hear that no i feel like you've said good things but i feel like i've just been totally I don't know why you feel that way. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm just, that makes me sad. I'm auditing my own brain. Cause it's not true. And I'm, and I'm thinking, boy, I'm feel I'm feeling stupid tonight. There's an hour and 10 minutes of solid, great stuff in here. And, and you will hear that as soon as you edit it. I promise you, but we're done. What else do we have to talk about tonight, Joe? We're done. Hmm.